I thought back about uh, some years ago, right out of seminary, I uh, was going to have one of my favorite professors. He was going to be at church. He's going to come and listen to me preach. And I was really nervous about it. And I was talking to my dad about it, who had been a pastor for many, many years. He still is a pastor. And I told him I was a little bit nervous because his professor was going to be there. And my dad said to me, uh, hey, Steve, um, uh, did you know that uh, every Sunday the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is at your church? And uh, then he dropped the mic and uh, walked out of the room. And that's true. And so Jesus is here. Lord Jesus, you're here. And I pray and I ask right now that you would do the thing that I cannot do, that you would speak to your people, that you would speak and draw people to yourself that aren't your people right now, that they would become your people and that you would impact people's lives for their good and for your glory and so uh, it's in the beautiful name of Christ we ask, amen. So I want you to pay attention today. I want you to, uh, I've been watching my family. I've been trying to observe things and uh, put the phone down. If you're not using it for your Bible now, put your stuff down. Just, just keep, put your eyes up here and pretend like I can see you. Uh, I want to engage with you. And uh, I'm going to try to be not so boring. I'm going to try to engage with you. But there is a discipline to listening. And I want God to speak to you. Uh, this morning. We're going to be talking about, surprise, surprise, the Bible. And uh, we're Village Bible Church, so that's a good thing. We use the Bible as our textbook uh, to, to reveal to us the, the story of what God is doing uh, in the world. And if we were to judge or to, to sum up, I should say, the Bible in three words, we would say, God with us. This book is the story of, of God with us. From the beginning, from creation to fall to the flood, the story is about God having a relationship with people and taking steps to maintain that relationship and to have a connection with people that is ongoing. And we come to Genesis chapter 12 where God calls a man, Abram, to be a father of a great nation, Israel, so that he might have a relationship with all of the nations of the world. And then in the book of Exodus, God takes his people, the nation of Israel, out of slavery from Egypt and leads them. He leads them by a, a cloud, a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, why? Because that was uh, his, the evidence that he was with them. God was with them. God was going before them. God was going behind them. God with us. And then the prophets of the Old Testament would sing and proclaim of the day coming when God would fully be with us and, and where his law would be written in our hearts and he would be right here and we would be his people, God with us. And the psalmist would write psalms and, and sing songs about God being with us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? Because you are with me, God with us. That's the story of the Bible, and we get to the New Testament, it's even intensified. It's God stepping into the world as the God-man, Jesus Christ, God taking on flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and now we have this man, Jesus, who claims to be more than a man, a man that is going around and healing people and giving sight to the blind and making the lame to walk and raising people from the dead and going to the cross to die at the hands of the Romans, but to die to pay for the sin of his people, to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin and then to rise again on the third day. God is alive 
today. God with us. And so if we were to sum up this book in one word, it would be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And then the end of the book, book of Revelation, is there's coming a day where Jesus is coming back. The King of kings and Lord of lords is going to be here. And he's going to rule and reign, and we're going to be his people. And I uh, look forward to that day when God is fully with us. And, and this is such a glorious thing, God with us, the story of the Bible. And it has a, a couple of implications as we start. The first implication of God with us is, is, is this, that we can have a relationship with him. So God being with us is not just a, a religious thing that we know it in our heads or, or we confess it as true or we study it historically. It's, it's relationally true. Because God is with us, we can have a relationship uh, with this God. And this relationship we have then brings eternal life, that is a, a life that is yet to come, but it also brings joy to the life right now that we live. It's the best possible life. Even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of despair, we can have joy because God is with us and we have a relationship with him. Now that's the book of Philippians. That's been our study as the Apostle Paul has written uh, from the prison cell. He's written about the joy he has um, about God and about his people, the, the Christians in Philippi. He's filled with joy, even though he's sitting, rotting in, in a prison cell. Now, um, you read of different people being in prison for different things, and, and usually there's pretty tough things, you know, some scary things. And, and uh, for Paul, you know, he's in there in prison. Hey, what are you in for, Paul? And he's like, well, I started a church, and uh, I loved people, and I, and I loved God. I mean, it, that's not a very rough things. not very bad things for Paul to be in prison for. I mean, Paul, what'd you do? I, my quilting team was pretty tough. I had a bunch of old ladies that, that quilted. They're, they're, they could uh, quilt you, uh, quilt, quilt circles around you, quilt you in a body bag maybe. I, I don't know. But, but see, so it was tough. You think about it. It's not that he did something so wrong or so bad that it was almost like, well, I'm here and I, I deserve it. I can see how I deserve it. He was there because he was serving God. He was there because he was planting churches. He was there because he was saving souls. He was there because he had started the church in Philippi, and yet he writes to them, and he has a joy in his heart, even though because of the circumstances around him, he should have been despairing. He should have been sad, and uh, that, that might be the day that you find yourself in today, that you could be sad, that you could be filled with desperation and despair, as Pastor Tim said uh, during communion, but God with us brings us joy. So the Philippians then, they were Christians who were givers. They were there in the beginning, and they had been helping Paul. They were there taking care of him while he was in prison. And, and this is why Paul was so overjoyed as he uh, wrote this letter, because these were the believers that um, were there with him in the beginning, when the church began in uh, Philippi. And I want to look to you, uh, with you today, uh, as we close out this book and look at four characteristics of these givers. It's really incredible. And I want to challenge us at Village Bible Church, I want to challenge you to be a giver. So let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read 14 through 23. Philippians chapter 4. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, again for this, your word, and I pray that you would speak to us and challenge us and change us by the power of your spirit. Amen. So let's start here. These givers, these Christians, they they were different. Be different. Go against the status quo. You see in verse 14, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. What trouble, Paul? He's in prison. You Philippians yourselves know, verse 15, at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. This church was a different sort of a church. This is why he was so overjoyed because this church had Paul's back from the start. That's why he could write in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is who these Christians are. They were the ones that supported Paul when he left Philippi, right after he ministered to to Philippi, and those first Christians came, Lydia came, the jailer came to Christ. After he left then, and he went on to Corinth, he writes to the Corinthian church in in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 that he was being supported by this church in Philippi. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9 I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for, for the brothers who came from Macedonia, that's, that's Philippi, supplied my need. So I refrained from and will refrain from burdening you in any way, he says to the Corinthians. So not all of the churches, like the church in Corinth, supported Paul. Philippi did. They were different. They went against the status quo. Now, now, this is a big deal, because Paul's very life depended upon the care of these people. The way that he got food in prison was from these people. The way that the ministry continued was from the gifts of these people. The way that he was taken care of from an outsider was Epaphroditus, who came from Philippi. He came and helped Paul. It, it, his very life depended upon it. At the beginning of our ministry, we went in a church planting. Uh, my wife and I, we moved out to Virginia and uh, we, we thought it was going to be great to, to plant a church, to start a church uh, just in the middle of nowhere and, and out of nothing by God's grace. And so we raised support um, to do that. And it was one of the most joyful things every month to go out and, and get in the mail the support letters. These people back home who had uh, written a card or written a note or, or not even any of that but had a check for us, it was our very life. It was our very lifeline. Here I dragged my wife out of her home state for the first time in her life. She was pregnant. 
with child, and uh, we went off to the East Coast where we didn't know anybody, where we didn't know the roads, where we didn't know the culture, and we said, let's uh, start a church. And it was that, those checks, it was those letters, it was that support that helped get us through what ended up being a very a difficult time. Now, I can't speak to every situation uh, that you might find yourselves in where you're going to have to be different in your life. I, I've been hearing some people say, hey, I'm not going to wear a mask. If, if, if the government tells me I'm going to wear a mask, I'm not going to wear a mask. Okay, I don't know if that's really what you want to go to the mat for, okay? Um, but as a pastor and as my calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life, I would say you need to start here. You need to start here by believing and following Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. To believe in Him. And that's going to go against the culture. That's going to go against the world. It might even go against your family. Jesus said this. He said that wide is the road that leads to destruction. Many people are on that. But narrow is the road that leads to life. And few people find it. See, the nature of the gospel, the, the nature of trusting in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in his, in his resurrection, the nature of it makes you different. So go against the status quo. And then once you are saved, once you begin to understand that he's your savior, once you begin to have your affections changed by him, then you begin to, to make him lord of your life on an ever-increasing manner. Your sanctification begins to ratchet up as you become more and more like Jesus as you walk with him. And, and, and you can you be different. You can give differently. No one supported me. Uh, you did, Philippians. You supported the Lord's work. Being different can be a hard thing, um, but it, it's, it's part and parcel of the call of Jesus Christ in our life. The Last Dance is the Chicago Bulls story that my family and I, we've been enjoying watching on ESPN2. That's the clean version, in case you're looking for that. And uh, it's the story of the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. And, and um, it's just a, a kind of a great thing for me, kind of relive my childhood. And I remembered back um, to my childhood and my parents who loved Jesus and loved Jesus back then. And they, we were kind of different, different for the, from, for the Lord, you know, different from the status quo. And, and one of those things that were different is um, I had a group of friends who were going to the Chicago Bulls game. And this is an old Chicago stadium. Uh, Michael Jordan was like in his second or third year. And uh, they asked me, well, they asked my parents if I could go to this Bulls game with them. Well, my parents uh, said no. And they didn't tell me that I was asked. And they said no because I had to go to the local nursing home to do uh, the service that night, the same night as the game. Well, I went. It was different. I went and did the local a nursing home service that, that night, and then the next week at school, my friends were asking where I was, and here they were talking about this wonderful basketball game, and they were talking about Michael Jordan, and they, and they were just going on and on and on, and, and where were you, Steve? You were invited. Now, I can look back on it now as a parent, and I can see that my parents were shaping me. They were helping me see that there are things greater in this life than basketball. They were, even though it was different, they were helping me be molded uh, in, in that kind of a different way to go against the status quo. Now, I've never forgiven them for it, and I never will, but I can understand what they were trying to do, what they were doing, because the life of a Christian is a different life. It's a life going against the flow. And, and the Philippians, they understood this after they were saved. They were the ones that were the lifeline for Paul. They kept him alive. So be different. 
But also, secondly, you see in the text, be diligent. Follow through with your commitments. Look at verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. It, it's literally, even in Thessalonica, and then time and time again, you took care of me. You took care of the needs that I had. They kept it up, these givers did. They followed through. They were still funding Paul when he was in Thessalonica. Now, Paul didn't tell the church that. The church in Thessalonica, you can read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 8, he says to them, I have not burdened you by taking offerings from you for my support. I've taken care of my own needs. Now, what he didn't say was behind the scenes were these faithful Christians, these faithful Christians in Philippi. And, and you say, well, why did he say that to the Corinthian church, and why didn't he say it to the Thessalonian church? Well, he, he, was, he had a mission with the, the Corinthians. He wanted to shame them. He wanted to uh, get in their grill. He, he, he wanted them to react to what he was writing to them. And, and he had a different spirit toward the, the Thessalonians. And so he didn't tell them. But, but it, what's, it's, it's here in, in Philippians. We see that they're funding Paul even in Thessalonica. And time and time again, they kept with it. They kept giving. There was an earnestness to their generosity. Now, can I just speak to you as uh, one of the family of Village Bible Church. And if you're not, you're, you're welcome to stay there. You don't have to turn off the, the, the computer or your phone. But um, before this season hit that we are in, we are in a season uh, of all-in, our all-in campaign. And the purpose behind that was to raise funds as a body, as a group, um, in order to better steward uh, the things that we have that God has given us as campuses here in Sugar Grove, and in Aurora, and in Plano, and there were updates that needed to be made. There were parking lots that were crumbling and falling apart. There were uh, renovations that were long past due, and, and, um, and so this was the all-in season that we were just in, and maybe you pledged, as I did, and my family, we pledged to, uh, to give to the Lord's work there, and it was a campaign that it was, um, it was exciting. It was challenging to be a part of. We were challenged and, and, uh, and now you might not be able to fulfill that. And I just want to say to you that uh, that's okay. This is not a, a legalistic burden. Um, the, the generosity that the Philippians showed was not something to be lorded over other people that didn't show it. And so if you've lost your job, if you're facing uh, an uncertain future, you don't know what's happening and you can't fulfill the things that you wanted to fulfill you know, just several months ago, that's understandable. That's okay. Be encouraged. God loves a cheerful giver. Give what you can give cheerfully. Don't feel the, the burden, the pressure of this type of giving. Because the, the first uh, priority for you is to give to your families, to take care of your family's needs. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, we read that Paul says to Timothy, uh, you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't care, take care of the family that God has given you. So you've so you got to take care of your family. You've got to take care of your needs. You've got to put food on the table. But if you are able, if you are able, be diligent. And, and in all of life, not just with the all-in, be diligent and be faithful to follow through. Don't be like the farmer. The farmer who his favorite cow had a calf, actually had twin calves, a black calf 
and a white cap, and they were so overjoyed. It doesn't happen that often, and so he was talking to his wife, the farmer's wife, and they said, let's give one to the Lord. Let's give one of these calves to the Lord, and they said, that's a great idea. This is a, a blessing that we didn't see coming, and so um, you know what? We'll feed them. We'll feed them the same. We'll uh, bring them up, and then we'll take them both to market, and at that time, one of them will be for the Lord. And, and so uh, that, that happened, and that went on for some time. And one day, the farmer came in to his wife, and he was all distraught and broken down and depressed. And his wife said, what happened? Why are you so sad? And he said, the Lord's calf died. And she said, what? The Lord's calf? I, I didn't think we decided whose calf was whose. He said, well, it was the white one, and I'd always, always assumed that the white one was going to be the Lord's calf. And I'm sad to report that the Lord's calf died. Times might be hard. Times might be a challenge. Times might be difficult. But we are encouraged by the Philippians to be diligent and to follow through even in times of difficulty, even in times that are hard. And so um, we're all in that season together. And that's a challenge from the Lord's word and then thirdly be discerning so be different be diligent in your giving but also then be discerning giving is part of worship giving is part of worship look at verse 18 i have received full payment and more i am well supplied having received from epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to god Paul goes from the language of accounting to now using the language of the sacrificial system of, of sacrifices, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is pleasing unto the Lord. And, and he brings in Epaphroditus here. So here's our buddy Epaphroditus. He's the one from the church in Philippi who had brought the gifts to Paul. And then he had stayed with Paul. We read this in chapter 2. We've already been there. And he had gotten sick during the time, and now Paul was sending him back to his home church, back to the church in Philippi, uh, with this letter, no doubt, that he was going to carry back to the church and report back from Paul, Paphroditus. Now this was phenomenal, if you think about it, these gifts that had been given by the church in Philippi. And I, I broke it down in, in three ways I think is quite clear. Number one, it was prayer. They had given prayer. Um, they had prayed for Paul. They, were, they had his back, and, and not only did they pray for him, they had given people. So they had given prayer. Uh, they had given people. Here's Epaphroditus, one of their own, one of their homegrown from the congregation who was sent there, who spent a long time with Paul, who got sick evidently, who almost lost his life, and then now was coming back to them. So they, they sent people to him, and not only that, they sent provisions. So prayer and people and provisions. That's like we talk about today with your time, treasures, and talents. You, you give unto the Lord all from what all he has given to you and this is what the philippians had done and they had given and this was actually an act of worship now you say how is generosity an act of worship how is it worship is having god at the right place in our hearts and that's first place we read in the scriptures that god is a jealous god and he's not jealous like a jealous boyfriend of a girl in high school. He, he's jealous because he deserves first place. That's his rightful place. So he's jealous for the place that he should inhabit. 
And that goes for your heart and my heart. He should be first place. Worship is putting God in that right place. Generosity reveals our heart. It shows where our heart is at. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So generosity then reveals your heart, and your heart is the place where you worship God, where you have your priorities in order or, or not in order. So be discerning when you give. When you give, it's a part of worship. This is so important. That's why there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible about giving. So there's 500 verses about prayer, there's 500 verses about faith, and then there's 2,300 verses about money and possessions. Why? Is it because those things are so important? No, it's because it reveals something about your worship, about your heart. 11 out of the 39, I believe, parables that Jesus told, 11 out of the 39 were about money and possessions. That's one-fourth of the sermons that Jesus gave. What if one-fourth of our sermons at Village were about giving? How long would you take to turn in your membership card? It's so important because it reveals your heart. Be discerning. Giving is a part of worship. And then lastly, be done. Stop trusting in things, other things, not God, we'll see in a moment, to take care of you or to supply your need. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now the way that I used to read this verse was um, to emphasize uh, the need part, okay? Stick with me here. Um, Here's how I would normally read it or memorize it. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The emphasis was on the need part. And I, and I actually think the better way to understand this verse and the better way to emphasize this verse is to put the emphasis, the, the word, God. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will do it. He'll be the one. He's the answer. He's the provision. The focus is not on the needs, and it's not even about the riches that he can, he can uh, bring to you to help you in your needs. And, and maybe it's a little bit of wants, and, and, and maybe he can come, and he, can, he, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He can, he can take care of your mortgage payment. He can pay your bills, right? The emphasis is not on our, on our needs. The emphasis is on God being the provision. Because sometimes God might not alleviate our needs, he, he might not. How, how, do you, how do I know this? Well, because earlier in verses 12 and 13, what Cisco talked about last week, Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know in each and every circumstance I have learned facing plenty, facing hunger, abundance and need. He's been content. He's learned contentment when he's hungry and when he has a lot. So there were evidently times where God didn't supply all of his need in the way that we think like he's going to give us the stuff to make up for the things that we don't have. The point is that God is the provision. But my God shall supply all of your needs. That's the point of the verse. So God can pay the mortgage according to his riches, but he might not. But he, God, is still enough. He might bring an end to the jobless drought that you have, but even if he doesn't, God is enough. My God shall supply all of your need. 
God is the provision. God is the answer. The problem is we depend upon other things to supply our needs, don't we? Let me give you uh, seven answers. I went out to, with my mask uh, this past week and talked to people six feet away, of course, and I asked 100 people, uh, top seven answers are on the board, things we depend upon to supply our needs, okay? Number seven. The number seven answer, well, and I'm just kidding, by the way. I didn't actually go out and talk to people about this. Some people uh, not from my campus were not understand that. I was just joking around about it. Um, number seven, a car, your car. Now, you might have a wonderful car today, but I can guarantee you it will let you down. And, and especially if you've had the check engine light on uh, for a couple of weeks. There's coming a day where it's not going to get you from point A to, to point B. How many of you, just raise your hands out there, have had your check engine light on for more than a week? Go ahead and show everybody else in the room that you're with that you've had your car light on. Uh, keep it up now. How much for uh, more than a month? Keep your hand up. Okay. How many of you had it for more than six months? Keep your hand up. I see you out there. Oh, that's unbelievable. How could you do that? That's terrible. Uh, your car will let you down. Now, that's kind of a funny one um, to start. Uh, the, the rest can get ugly. Number six, friends. Things that we depend upon to supply our needs. We depend upon our friends, but we start to learn very quickly, very early on in life, maybe junior high, that friends are fickle, that friends can fail you, that friends can depart from you, that friends can sell you out, that friends can bite your back. Things we depend upon to supply our needs. Friends, how about this, number five, church. Now by church, I don't mean God. By church, I mean the people and the relationships that we have in church. And let me just say, as a pastor at this church, Village Bible Church, we will let you down. I will let you down. Now, I don't mean that as a promise. Um, I'm just telling you that as a reality. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect church. By God's grace, at Village, this is a healthy church. It's a wonderful church, but it's not a perfect church. You're not going to find a perfect church, and if you do find the perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. How many know today that not everyone in church are Christians, by the way? And, and some of the deepest wounds can be cut in a church-related matter. Things we depend upon to supply our needs. How about this? Family. Family, our, our kids, our spouses. Maybe it'll surprise you to, to learn that they were not created to supply you with all of your needs. They weren't. They can't handle it. They can't bear that burden. Your wife cannot bear all of your needs. Your husband cannot bear all of your needs. Your kids cannot be your answer to your relationship problems with other adults. They cannot stand under the weight of supplying your needs. Your family will not meet your needs. Things we depend upon to supply our needs. How about this? Number three, money. We've talked about that already. We've heard it said, oh, I know that, more money, more problems, right? More money, more problems. I've always been out of the opinion that, you know, I'd like to try some of those more money, more problems. I'd like to see what those problems are like. 
but it doesn't have the power to satisfy. After the sermon, go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and look at one of the richest men who have ever lived, Solomon. He tried to spend as much money as he could to get as much pleasure and as much joy and to supply all the needs that he had in his heart and in his life, and it didn't go anywhere. It didn't work. It didn't satisfy him. I mean, just think about it. We get used to whatever we have around us. If we got a billion dollars like that, our, our surroundings will change. Our experience of life will change. But after some amount of time, we'll get used to that, and we'll be back in the same boat as we were here before we had a billion dollars. Money cannot satisfy us. How about this? Number two, government. Government. Someone has said that politics is the religion of those who do not believe in God. And so if you don't believe in God, there has to be another high authority and power. And what is the highest one on earth? It is the government. But the government, if the virus shows us anything, it shows us this, that the government cannot supply all of our needs. I am thankful for our government. I am thankful for our leaders. We are commanded in Scripture to pray for them, to lift them up. I am thankful for the country we live in, and I know that that, uh, people are doing all that they can to help during this time, and we appreciate them, but their power only goes so far. Things we depend upon to supply our needs. The government, how about this, number one. The number one answer is, you guessed it, self. Myself. I'll depend upon myself. If I can't depend on anybody else, I can depend upon myself. You, you depend upon your smarts. Maybe you've been the smartest in your class for as long as you can remember. You depend upon your personality. You can talk your way out of anything. You depend upon your abilities. And here's the problem. All those things will go away. All those things over time will diminish. It's the law of nature. And just last, last week, we were playing that trivia game before the service, and I saw a picture of me from college, and, and I, I looked, and, and uh, man, I was a good-looking guy. I was a good-looking guy, and, and you saw that picture. Maybe you take a look at the picture here, and now you understand how I got my wife, Stephanie, and uh, she's beautiful. And yeah, I, I wasn't too bad. A ministry takes a toll on you, okay, and your looks, if you're depending upon them, they're going to fail you at some point. Not only that, your strength will fail you. Jack LaLanne was one of the most fit men on the planet. And he lived to a good, ripe old age. He died in his 90s, but uh, you see there he was a shell of the man that he once was. He couldn't punch his way out of a wet paper bag at the end, but his strength failed him. Yourself, you will fail yourself. Be done with that. Be done with trusting in the things that can never satisfy, the things that can never supply all of your need, and turn once again to our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen, verse 20 says. So in conclusion, get with God's program. Be different. Give in a generous way, in a different way, in a, in a diligent way. Keep giving even though uh, maybe others would fall to the wayside. And not only that, be discerning that your giving is an act of worship. Worship in your giving and then be done with having faith in things that can never supply your need. Have faith in the God who gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, that's the program. God with us. 
God came and he gave his son and he gave his life on Calvary for your sin and mine sin that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting light. Get with his program of giving. Back when I was in seminary, uh, my wife Stephanie and I, we would go to a little church in Evergreen Park on the south side of Chicago. That's where I would preach. And, and back in that day, our uh, offering, what we would give a week, was $25 a week. I was full-time seminarian student. I preached at this little church. My wife worked at the gym. She was uh, eight months pregnant with uh, Trey, uh, or, or six months. can't remember exactly how much. But um, well, we had uh, very little money in our checking account. And uh, we usually gave $25 a week. And Stephanie told me, hey, we're, I don't think we're going to make it this week. We got some outstanding bills that the checks haven't come through. And there's some other bills coming in the week. We're probably going to overdraft. We're probably going to be um, not have enough money. So I said, well, let's just hold off then. Let's not, let's not give this money this week. And so um, we went to church. And in the car, Stephanie and I were talking a little bit more about that. And we said, um, if we can't trust God for $25, how can we trust him with our eternal soul? We're trusting him with our lives. We're trusting him with our family's lives. We're trusting him with our soul. How can we not trust him with 25 bucks? I said, yeah, you're right. Write the check. We got to give the check. Wrote the check for $25, gave it in the service. After the service, the little old lady, the treasurer, came up and said, the church we've met uh, last week, and we decided, we decided to increase your pay by $50 a week. And she gave me the extra $50 for that week. We were just blown away. Um, now some people say, well, it's just coincidence. And, and it could be just coincidence, I guess, but there is no coincidence with God. Things happen for a reason and for a purpose. And here God took the $25, doubled it to 50 and, and blessed our socks off. Actually, it was almost a slap in the face because we weren't trusting him in the beginning for that. Thankfully, we did. We got under the wire. We trusted him for it. But there's got to be those stories behind the greater story of the church where we are a church that is um, different. We are a church that is giving diligently. That, that behind the, the, the whole mission of the church, there are individual stories like that with the $40, with the $25, giving unto the Lord and God doubling it to $50, um, that we would be trusting Him in everything. Now, a church could say, hey, you better do that with all of your money. God's going to do that every time, and He's going to bless your pants off. He's going to double your money. Just give. And no, that's not what we're saying. It's not a prosperity gospel thing here. We're saying this, though. Be a giver like the church in Philippi, because giving is what our God does. For God so loved the world that He gave. And this is then how we have relentless joy. This is the key uh, to our life of joy. It is to give. Jesus even said it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Enter into giving like never before today.